Thank you, for uh, Rod, for sharing your testimony. What a blessing to, to know that God is faithful. Um, and oftentimes uh, in the church we have blessings and we keep them to ourselves. And I know that we have uh, hurts oftentimes and we keep them to ourselves. And we really should be uh, open uh, with both of those to, to share in the congregation. And ladies, thank you for uh, sharing your heart for, for missions and heart for people um, in Jamaica, in Zimbabwe, the reality is we are so blessed and we have such opportunities to uh, make a difference in people's lives. So uh, God bless you for uh, for what you're doing. And church, certainly take advantage of, of, of supporting financially, supporting with prayer, supporting with encouragement to ones that are doing things like that. Have you ever had one of those days where you, you get to the end of the day, maybe you've been been on your feet all day, you've been working uh, ladies, maybe you've been in the house all day, you've been cooking, you've been cleaning, you've been caring for your children or something, and I mean, you are just, you are just, uh, exhausted. You're wore out and you walk in. I don't know if ladies are so much, it, certainly, my wife isn't as much this way, but it is for me. I, I walk into the living room, and if I'm exhausted, I, I see my recliner. And it's almost calling my name. And, and I sit down in my recliner, and I, and I I don't just sit. I sit and then pull the little lever. Uh, probably included in there as I reach over and grab the remote. You know that's part of the process as well. But you just sit down and whew, take a breath and rest. Are are you weary? Are you weary? In Matthew chapter eleven, Jesus offers an invitation that I think you'll find intriguing as well as encouraging. Or are you here today and are you weary from life? Are you weary from expectations? Maybe expectations that others have placed on you. Maybe some of the expectations that you placed on yourself. Maybe it's expectations the church has placed on you or just your faith has placed on you. Are you weary from failures? Are you weary from disappointments, from discouragements, from, from problems? If you are, then Jesus invites you to a place of rest, a, a place where you can sit down and prop up the feet of your soul and find wholeness again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're going we're gonna to live right there today in Matthew 11 at the end of the chapter, and then we're also going to jump back to the start of the chapter. So if you have Matthew 11 open, uh, kind of keep it there because we're going to look in two different spots in that text. These aren't going to be new verses for you. I imagine... You're, you're going to recognize these verses. You might have them up on a wall plaque somewhere, uh, have them memorized. You're certainly going to be familiar with the words of Jesus here. But follow along as I read Matthew chapter 11, the last three verses, 28 to 30. This, this word Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is like, is like, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read that text, or, or, or at least when I think of that text, it's almost like a sense of calm and peace come over you. It, it's, it's one of those verses, one of those sections of scripture that, that when you read it, it just is, it just gives you that sense of, oh yeah, the Lord is there and, and, and it really does in, encourage you. What we find actually in this text is that Jesus gives us Three commands, and and if you want to change that a little bit, three invitations. Three commands, three invitations. 
and they build on each other. You'll see as we walk along through this text that they, they, they interleak and, and build upon one another. Here's the first one. It's really simple. It's right there in the text. Nothing, nothing spectacular here. It's obvious. Here's the first one. Jesus says, come. Verse, uh, verse 28 says, come to all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Who's he speaking to? When Jesus says, come, who is that invitation extended to? Well, the text answers it. The first thing it says is, come to me all. So it's kind of a, a broad invitation, all. But he does qualify it a little bit, because then he goes on to say, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Anyone here never been weary or burdened? I, I don't know that anyone could raise their hand. If you if you could, you'd probably be too embarrassed to do so. If you're If you've never been weary or burdened, just hang on and remember these verses, because the day is coming that you're going to feel that way. The reality is that life sometimes is tough. Let me rephrase that. Life always is tough. There's difficult times. We can live in joy, and we can live in peace, and we can live in victory, but that doesn't mean that life doesn't weary weary us and burden us. It doesn't mean that problems don't come our way, and we find ourselves just beat down by life. And Jesus says to those who are weary and burdened, He says, come. Now, now let's look, if you have your Bibles there, Matthew 11, go back with me, if you will, to the start of the chapter, because Jesus actually gives us a little more context, and I think it helps us to understand the, the breadth of this text when we understand probably who Jesus was really thinking about when he said, all who are weary and burdened. It's, it's really the context. If you have your Bibles, look at chapter 11, uh, we'll start with verse 1 and read through verse 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. Now, the instruction was, uh, in chapter 10, he had sent his 12 out to do their own missionary work. He had sent them out to, to, to preach the gospel, give them powers to heal sickness and cast out demons. They went one direction, and Jesus went a different direction. After he'd sent them out, uh, uh, he, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, speaking of John the Baptist here, in, uh, who was in prison, uh, heard, heard in prison, what Christ is doing, he sent his disciples to ask him. This is what they ask. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. What was going on here? John was in prison, sent some of his followers, uh, some loyal to him, sent a group of them to talk to Jesus. I'm sure one guy was the spokesperson. What was going on with John? Was was he beginning to doubt? Did, did he have second thoughts about Jesus? Now, there could have been a, a ton of things happening here. One of the things that might have been going on was John might have been a little concerned that things weren't happening quickly. I, I assume that he thought if Jesus was the Messiah that, that everything would would happen quickly, that everything would change right off the bat. And, and yet, as far as he could tell, nothing really was changing. People were getting upset, the leaders were getting upset, but but things weren't happening very quickly. The second thing is John might have been wondering, why am I in prison? Man, I'm supposed to be the one telling about Jesus. Now, he understood that Jesus would increase and he would decrease, but but shouldn't I be out there kind of letting people know about it? And I'm stuck in prison. Something is wrong here. Maybe he's not the the one. Now, had I been Jesus, 
And let me just clarify so no one misunderstands. I'm not. Never claim to be. But had I been Jesus, I would have answered differently. They came and said, hey, John's wondering, are you the one or should we look for someone else? If I'd have been Jesus, I think I would have said this. I would have told the guy that asked the question, you go back and tell John. I'd have a little attitude. Go back and tell John, I am the Messiah. And then I think I would have went a little further. I would have said, hey, while you're at it, would you ask John this question? John, when you baptized me, weren't you there? Remember when you baptized weren't you there? Because didn't you hear that booming voice from heaven? that said, this is my son, who I'm well pleased? Ask John, John, do do you remember that dove coming down and descending from heaven and lighting on me? John, weren't you there when you baptized? In fact, had I been Jesus, I might have done a Jedi Knight trick, and I might have done this and and just levitated the guy about, I'm not real high, maybe just 10 or 12, 15 feet above the ground. And while I'm talking to him, I've got him just holding, holding him right up there, and, and, and are you going to tell John that I'm Messiah? And they go, yeah, yeah, I'll tell him, I'll tell him, I'll put him back down. That, that, that's how I would have handled it. But, but that's not what Jesus said. See what he said in verse 4? He says, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have left are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, good news is preached the poor. What Jesus was saying was, go, go and tell John, look at the evidence. See the miraculous things that are happening. Maybe even more important than that, and, and it was subtle, but it's so Jesus. What was maybe even more important than that was, was the reality of who Jesus was highlighting in that group. When, when he talked about the blind, the, the deaf, the, the lepers, the poor, uh, what was the common threads that weaved all of these groups together? It was that they were powerless. The, the ones he defined that he was the Messiah by were hopeless. They were outcast. They were some of them literally unclean. All of them probably felt they were unclean. And they were weary and burdened. So in context, we see that when Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and Burden in context, that's who he would have been thinking about. All these people who were struggling with life, the ones who had nothing and had nothing to give in return, to them, Jesus says, come. Now let me look at a couple quick applications. The first one, really this is not even part of the sermon, I'll give it to you for free of charge here. Here's the first one, a missional application for the church. If, if Jesus was moved by by, by sharing with the, the hopeless and the hurting. If Jesus was moved by sharing with the blind and the deaf and those with leprosy, those who were poor, if that's how Jesus defined his ministry, then what should, what should our ministry be defined by? If Jesus says to the hurting, the helpless, the hopeless, if he says to them, come, shouldn't we be inviting them as well? Shouldn't that focus what we as a church do? Here, here and, and here's the second ep, uh, application for us. Here's the reality. This invitation is for us. Yeah, it's, it, it's come all, it's come weary and burdened. And, and in context, that's who he was talking about. That's kind of who, who his mindset would have been on. But the in, invitation is for us. What then prevents us 
if Jesus has the answer, if Jesus wants to give you rest, if Jesus wants to, 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 to speak into your soul so that no matter what's happening, whether you have cancer or, or whether your life is falling apart or whether things are going perfectly, Jesus wants to speak into your heart and say, I will give you rest. I will give, give hope to your soul. What prevents us then from accepting that? Why, why, and let's just be honest here, church. We struggle with this. We're the believers and we struggle with it. Why do we struggle so to, to simply accept, accept the peace of Jesus? Let me give you three reasons. The first one I think is simple. I think it's pride. Jesus said, uh, it was the blind, the lame, the leper, the deaf, the poor. And here's the problem. That's not me. I, I don't see myself in that group, do I? The, the, the reality is I look at myself and I don't see myself physically or spiritually blind or lame or, 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 or covered in, uh, in disease. I don't see myself deaf. I don't see myself spiritually poor. Here, here's what really takes place in our spirit. And this, what, this is the pride that keeps us from reaching out to Jesus. Do I really need him? I, I got my life together for the most part. I, I can handle it myself. Do I really need him? We don't allow ourselves to realize that we're just like that group Jesus was thinking of. We're lost without him. We are blind spiritually without him. We are lame. We are lepers without the love of Jesus. See, the ones who Jesus spoke to knew they were broken. They got up every day and they realized that they were lost. The lame guy woke up every morning, and when he woke up, he realized, yep, I still can't walk. The blind guy woke up every morning, and when his eyes opened, I still can't see. The leper woke up every day, and, and maybe he thought to himself or forgot for just a moment that he had leprosy, but all he had to do was walk outside, and when people saw him, they would run to the other side of the street, they'd walk away from him, they might even shout at him, you're unclean, and he was reminded, yep, I have leprosy. The reality is they knew they were lost. And Jesus isn't speaking just to physically being hurting and lost. He's also speaking to the spiritually lost. Jesus Jesus found himself and was drawn to people who were hurting. He was drawn to the tax collectors, to the sinners, to the ladies who had a past and a bad reputation. Jesus was drawn to them. And here's the reality with all those groups. They knew. They knew they were lost. They were the ones that no one cared about, no one offered love to, and no one certainly ever spoke about the hope God might give to them. See, one of the reasons we, one of the reasons we don't, we don't come to find the peace of Jesus is because our pride says, I'm okay. We look at the sin in our life and well, it's not that bad. Man, these guys over here are a whole lot worse than I am. It's not affecting me. I'm not really struggling. Francis Chan, in his book Crazy Love, says this, Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They, they're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old sinful one. That's pride speaking. And sometimes we, we deny the opportunity to know the, the, the peace of Jesus and his love because we simply don't come. Our pride says, ah, I don't really need that. Another thing that sometimes keeps us from 
uh, from coming to Jesus is, is that we're paralyzed because we don't know what to do. We, we want to find that spiritual rest. We want to find that peace. We're really longing to go deeper with Him. But we, what do, what do I do? I, I don't know what the next step is. How do I find that peace? What do I need to do? I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here. I'm just standing here and, and I'm paralyzed with what to do. About four years ago, I took a, uh, took a class at, uh, I think it was Heartland then, but at Mosaic Life Care. It, it's called CP, a clinical pastoral education. It's kind of a, kind of a, a, a chaplaincy training program. And one day a week, I'd go and take a class. And, and part of the class was though, that once a month, sometimes twice a month, uh, the people in the class would be the chaplain for the day, or actually the night. We, we'd always do the night shift. So, so one Saturday night a month, sometimes two Saturday nights a month, I would be the chaplain, uh, at Harlan from, from, and I always did Saturday, from Saturday at four o'clock in the afternoon till Sunday morning at eight o'clock, I was a chaplain. If someone needed a chaplain, I was the one that got, got called. Hopefully none of you guys were sick during that time, cause I was just a trainee to know, no, I, actually I knew what I was doing, but, but they'd call and there was all sorts of things that we did. But one of the things that happened at the hospital was called a MET alert. Uh, somebody, if you work there, you will know what that is. A MET alert happens if, if a, a patient is up on one of the floors and they suddenly get real sick. Maybe they're, they're, they're someone that has breathing issues and their breathing function goes way down. Maybe they have heart issues and they, they start to really struggle. And a nurse will call a MET alert. And when that happens, people from all over the hospital descend on the room. There's someone from respiratory that shows up, someone from x-ray that shows up. Whoever the doctor that's in the hospital, the hospitalist there, he'll show up. The, someone from, a nurse from ICU shows up in case the patient has to be transferred. All these people come running to the room to provide the care that needs to be provided. And one other person that gets a page when that happens is the chaplain. So I had that happen three or four times when I was on, on duty. Middle of the night, my pager goes off. Med alert, room 222. And I go running up there. What do I do? No one told me what I was supposed to do. And what I wanted to do was walk into the room and say, doctor, get out of the way. I'm, I'm the chaplain. I'm here. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, the doctor's working on a respiratory chart and I, and, and so the first couple of times these med alerts, I just kind of stood outside the room and I, I was kind of paralyzed. Like, what am I supposed to do? I want to do something. Now I, I was, I didn't know who the patient was, but I was praying for him. Um, you know, I did that, but I'm just standing there like, what, what's my job here? All these people, they're, they're trained. They're medical. They've got, Equipment that they're running in and out of the room, and I'm just standing there with the Bible in my hand. And, and then one morning, about four o'clock, uh, my beeper went off, and I got got up and I, I ran to the room. And as I turned the corner, I saw uh, a lady and her adult son and, and her adult daughter, and it was a family I knew. They family that lived at Rushville. I came around the corner and I explained to them. Hey, I was, I'm the chaplain here today. And I, I pulled the family over and I talked to them just a little bit, asking what was going on with their, their loved one, the, the husband, the dad. And I pulled them aside and I put my arms around them and I said, let's pray. And, and so I prayed for, for dad. I prayed for, for the husband. And then I knew why I was there. See, see my job wasn't to rush in the room and make everything well. My, my job was to show up. My job was to, to come. And, and, and if I had the spirit that would just get me to show up, there would be times where God was going to use me. 
sometimes we, we want to change, we want to know his rest, but we don't know what to do. Let me suggest this. Show up. Make yourself available to the Lord and, and he will speak that truth in, into you. And, and here's the, here's the third thing that prevents us. It's perception. See, Satan puts a lie in our hearts. Uh, the, 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 the lie says something like this. I, I'm the only one. The lie is something like this, if people really knew me. The lie is something like this, no one would understand. The lie is like this, you've got it all together, but I'm the one that's struggling. You guys don't have struggles, it's just me. I, I, I sat in a chapel at a church in Mexico about a month ago with a college student uh, on the uh, from CCF on the mission trip there. And I remember talking to this this young college girl and... Uh, and, and, and she said something like that, well, I'm not like them. And she pointed to the rest of the room where all the other college students were. I'm not like them at all. If they only knew, if they only knew who I really was. Really, really what that can all be summed up with is this. Jesus couldn't love me. See, it's the perception that when Jesus says come, he's not really talking to me. Because if if he really knew me, and by the way, he does, if he really knew me, he, he wouldn't offer that invitation to me. My, my friend, friend Scotty sat in a, a, a room in a circle with five or six other guys. They were there for a, a counseling session on addiction, um, and with them was the counselor. As the, the session began, the leader looked around the room and he said, guys, today we're going to Today we're going to try to go a little bit deeper. We're going to try to get below the surface. And, and what I really want us to look at tonight is figure out what are some of the pains, what are some of the hurts, what are some of the discouragements that are, that are living below the surface that, that, that's pushing you towards addiction, that's causing you to have these addictive uh, attitudes and actions. And, and so the counselor began to talk and he prodded and poked here and asked questions and, and some guys spoke up and then, then he looked over at my friend Scotty. Uh, and he said, Scotty, what do you think? Do you have something to say? Scotty hesitated for, for a couple moments. And then he, then he looked down at the floor. He took a big breath and began to talk. He said, I think I was about 10 years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was up behind my house playing in the woods and I'd, I'd taken some matches up there and I'd built a small little campfire. So I was having a great time and I got the fire going and, and, and just really having a good time. And, and then a gust of wind blew an ember and, and it caught a little bit of brush on fire and then that caught some more brush and suddenly, suddenly I'd lost control of the fire and it started to spread up the hillside. Said one of my neighbors saw the smoke and the fire, called the fire department. They, they showed up, didn't take any time, they had it put out and no big deal. The fireman kind of scolded me, but, but was also very understanding. But he said about that time, dad come wheeling in, mom had called him. But he pulled in the driveway and he grabbed me by the arm and he drug me over to one of the firefighters, forced me to apologize, which was no big deal, but then he began to berate me and in front of this fire, Fighter, humiliate me. Said I can still hear his words. Then this six foot five, two hundred forty five pound former college football player 
who now is a firefighter for L.A. County. Tears running down his cheeks, voice quivering, said, even as an adult, even as an adult, I guess there's times when I struggle with my self-esteem. And I still see myself as that 10-year-old boy in front of my dad. I can still hear his words. Scotty took a deep breath and then looked up. And, and, and what he expected to see in the room was judgment and scorn. Instead, what he saw that day was all the other guys nodding their heads. Like, yeah, I know. And then the discussion went around the room and each guy kind of shared similar stuff. Yeah, similar stories to him at times where they felt like they didn't measure up and their self-worth was challenged and how, how that hurt was there. And Scott made this comment. He said, that was a breakthrough because I realized for the first time I wasn't the only one. Someone here today, someone here today thinks they're the there's someone here today that's looking around this fellowship and your, and your thought is this. It's, it's, it's basically what that girl in Mexico a month ago said to me. They've all got it together. They're all perfect. They've all got it figured out. Man, they, they all have life uh, by, by the tail, but not me. They're all perfect Christians. When Jesus says come, they're talking to them. They're not, talk, he's not talking to me. But, but here's the, the reality, church. All over this room. If you're one of those this morning that thinks you're the only one, the truth is you're not. There's people all over this this fellowship that have been there. Right? Is there might be some others thinking the same thing that they're the only one. And, and the people who think they're the only one, their perception is that Jesus couldn't love me. Jesus simply says to you, "Come." Now, now notice what he says next in this. In, uh, in this passage. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Look at verse 29. What's he say there? Take. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. So the second thing he says is take. Now I love this text because it is such a beautiful text. The reality is you can read these three, three verses and it just, oh man, it just makes you feel so good. But, but the truth is those that were listening that day, those who heard Jesus uh, uh, offer this invitation, they wouldn't have missed what he was talking about here. He said, come to me, and they, they would have felt like, wow, that, what an invitation. Jesus says to us, uh, even though we're, we, we have nothing to offer, Jesus says, but then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. See, see, the listeners would have understood when he, when he mentioned this idea of yoke, they understood exactly what it meant. First of all, it means, uh, uh, it, it, it equals control. When you put a yoke on someone or something, actually something, you're, you're giving up control. They, they understood the visual picture of putting a yoke on a couple different oxen. So those oxen were yoked together so they could work together. Jesus wasn't saying to the weary. Jesus isn't saying to us, come to me and I'll make it all better. Come to me and life's going to be easy. Come to me and you won't have any obligations. Come to me and you have no cares at all. That's not what he's saying at all. Herod Fowler in his commentary says this, My yoke is definitely a kind of control, an obligation, a discipline. He is making it crystal clear that he is not merely our friend and example. Jesus is our Lord and our Master. 
if it's not working for you, Jesus says, let me take control. James tells the story of taking his young son. He was about six or seven years old fishing one day. They were, they were fishing. His son cast the rod out, and, and he got hooked on a, a log under the, the water, and he tugged, and he pulled, and he finally broke the line. And, uh, and as he reeled it back in, uh, James says he turned around to go to the tackle box to, to get another hook to put on it, but his son had already beat him to it. His son was already at the tackle box and, and, and had a hook out, and he had showed his son how to tie a hook onto a line before, but he really hadn't done it. So he looked and, and watched that as, as his little boy took the hook in one hand and the line in the other, and he, he struggled to get that through the eye of the hook, but he finally got it in there, and he, he wove it around, and he, he got it tied, and then he, he'd seen his dad do this. He took the hook and took the line and tugged, but it came out. And he watched as his son did it again. He patiently got it threaded through there, and then he tied it, and he took the hook, and he took the line, and it came out again. He said he did that three or four times, weaving it through, trying to do it just right, and it wouldn't hold. And finally he looked up, had his dad with the hook in one hand and the line in the other and says, Dad, show me how. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Come to me all who weary burden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Be yoked with me. Let me have control. Let me show you how. And, and here's the reality is when we take the yoke, uh, it the burden is easy. The burden is light because it's eased by Christ. J.H. Jallet says this, The fatal mistake for, for the believer is to seek to bear life's load in a single collar. God never intended a man to carry his burden alone. Christ, therefore, deals only in yokes. A yoke is a neck harness for two, and the Lord himself pleads to be one of the two. He wants to share the labor of any galling task. The secret of peace and victory in the Christian life is found in putting off the taxing collar of self and accepting the master's relaxing yoke. If you're here this morning and you're saying, man, it's hard. I, I, I've tried giving the control to the Lord. I've tried, I've tried seeking his face and, and I keep getting it wrong. I keep failing. I, I, I've tried, but I just can't do it. To you, I would say this. You're right. You can't. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Take my yoke and together we can. If you're here today and you're struggling with an addiction, Jesus says, take my yoke. If you're here today and you're struggling with depression, Jesus is saying, take my yoke. If you're here today and there's sin that just keeps whipping you and, and keeps defeating you, Jesus is saying, take my yoke. If you're here today and you wake up every morning and the pressure and the burdens of life just make it so difficult that you don't even want to get out of bed, Jesus simply is saying, take my yoke. And the third thing that he commands us and instructs us and invites us to do is to learn from him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. From a humble heart you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We learn a couple things. We learn, first of all, we learn the heart of Jesus when we're yoked with him. One of my favorite things in, in the life of the church is, is to work with other Christians, whether it's on a, a project at the church or, or some uh, community service project or going on a mission trip. One of the beautiful things of doing that is working side by side with people 
Because when you, when you work with people, when you're side by side with them, when you're kind of yoked with them, you really get to know who they are. You really get to learn who they are. When we yoke ourselves with Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I'm going to give you control, but you're going to help me with this, we really learn who he is. And we learn that it's his help that will lighten the load. Let's close with this. Bill, Bill Hybels tells uh, the story of, of going to a, a service one time that, uh, and he was listening to, to a, a preacher and he was sharing the message with a group full of men that Hybels was there with. As the guy walked out on the stage, he had in his hand a, a, a bowl of stickers. And up on the stage behind him, there were two or three tables set up and, and all kinds of things set on the tables. There was like a little match car that represented a, a, a car that you might have, a little model of a house that represented a house. There was, there was a desk and chair, a little small one that represented job. There's all sorts of things on that table. And as the guy spoke, he, he had walked occasionally up to one of those. He had peeled off one of the stickers and he had put that orange sticker on one of those props up on the stage. And then he would talk a little bit longer and then he'd walk over and peel off another sticker and put it on one of the, the props. And, and after a while, he, he finally stopped and said, you, uh, you guys want to know what's on these stickers? Of course, at that time, he had everyone's attention. They were really curious what was going on. And, and they all, yeah, yeah. And he said, written on these orange stickers is the word temporary. And he went on to explain, all these things up here are temporary. Cars, houses, jobs, recreation, all this stuff is temporary. About that time, a little girl came walking across the stage. It was the speaker's granddaughter. She had a pretty little blue dress on, and she walked over to him, and, and he peeled off a different sticker that time, and he put it on her collar. And then he asked this question. When you take your last breath, when you breathe your last in this life, what do you take with you? He pointed back behind him. All this stuff is temporary. It stays. The only thing you take with you is what you've done for people. Jesus, Jesus asks us, are we willing to come to Him? When, when asked about whether He was the Messiah, Jesus' response was, look at people. Look at the sick. Look at the lame. Look at the lepers. Look at the poor. Are they being touched? Look at the hurting, the hopeless, the helpless, the lost. See, the burden that we take on when we are yoked with Jesus is simply this. The burden is to take our eyes off the temporary and put them on the eternal. We had a couple illustrations of this as the lady spoke about mission. Jamaica, Zimbabwe. Taking eyes off self off the things that don't last and put it on eternal things. That's the burden that Jesus wants to burden us with today. Are you weary? Has life got you down? Are you hurting? Are you struggling? Does, does it not make sense sometimes? Jesus simply says, come. Yoke yourself with me and I'll give you a new way to see things.
Let's bow in prayer. Father, it's, it's our plea, it's our desire to know you and to know your heart. Father, what a blessing it is to, to have an invitation to simply come to you, to know you, and be touched by you. Father, in this group this morning, there's someone that's hurting, there's someone that's struggling. Father, there's someone that's being bound up by pride. You simply say, come. Father, as we, uh, as we look at your word, you speak those words of comfort. You speak those words of rest, but we must come. Father, give us a sense of faith, a sense of hope, so that we can come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you need to know the Lord, maybe you're here today and you're that one, or you think you're that only one that's going through something difficult. You think you're the only one that's got that pain, the only one that's got that sin. I'd invite you to come. One thing you're going to find is there's going to be someone else who will come up here and say, man, I know exactly what you're going through. The Lord gave me victory over that two years ago or ten years ago or five years ago. If you're here today and you need to answer the call to come, we'd invite you as we stand and sing to come.